right? Taking some vitamins. Yeah, so get your vitamin D if you're cooped up all the time. Uh, oh, you're recording. It's keeping me going. What? No, huh, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Big Vitamin D. One of our more astute fans pointed out to me that a few episodes ago, you wished the coronavirus on our friend Jesse. The, <laughs> Does our, Jesse have the coronavirus? Our writer friend. No, but the person... Oh, the... Our... It was rude of you to say that. <laughs> oh, Jesse. Well, Jesse, I have mean things to say about you later, so we'll get I, into that. Anyway, I just want to let you know that people were mad at you. Well, I mean, wishes don't matter. I guess you're, well, no, I was going to say. There's that, like I didn't. (laughs) Go ahead. It wasn't like a voodoo spirit, right? Yeah, I didn't put the horns on it. Wait, no, the horns are good luck. Jesse, now I am retroactively putting the horns on you from Southern Italian lore. Um... If you got the coronavirus, that sucks. I stand by my wishing it on you because, I don't know, it was funny. But (laughs) I hope you're alive and well nonetheless because I want to keep this feud going, even if this feud is entirely in my brain. I'm sure our 10 of listener will really enjoy you saying that. I also would like to bring up the fact that I think Laura Dern's goldfish dying was an omen of this terrible time we're living in because everything was fine till that happened and then everything just went off the deep end. True. The canary in the fishbowl. Honestly, he knew better. He got out before before this all went down. I'm glad he doesn't have to suffer through this, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, would it be that much different for a fish? Well, can fish get the virus? It's a big question. I have a scientist friend, I'll ask her. Okay, I know cats can. Cats can't, some cats, one tiger. Some cats in like Brooklyn, I think, got it. Yep. It's terrible. Feral or, um, do we know? I think they were house cats, like two kittens. Were they mangy? I don't know. And also like, I don't know, like, like what, what brings you to think, hey, maybe my cats have the coronavirus. Right, or like that they'd even test for it at the vet. Like, is that, we have a a testing shortage? Is that where they're going? Vets are hoarding them? Is this what rich people are doing? Not only testing themselves, but testing their cats? Yep, they're guinea pigs, they're parrots, they're partridges, because like rich people would have like an exotic partridge. Imagine a parrot with like whooping cough. (laughs) That'd be sad. Speaking of imagining, I had a dream the other day. Oh, good. Gone. It was that all the little children, black and white and Asian and Native American and so on, will hold hands. No, that's someone else's dream. I had a dream with Laura Dern in it. Please continue. Uh, so, like, I was in this real big group. Nick, wait, real quick. Was it a sex dream? No, it wasn't. It was very wholesome. Okay. I was in sex a. Sex can real... be wholesome. I want to clarify that. Yeah. It was, uh, no, I mean, it. It wasn't a sex dream though. We were in a, me and, it was like, I kept, I was like walking around this giant grocery store. It was very well lit. They had like everything. And it had like a very like themed grocery store vibe. Like I know there's a few in LA and like different grocery stores that have like animatronics and they have like a theme and stuff. Almost like a Stu Leonard's. Yeah, it was something like that. Okay. And I was walking around with a bunch of people from my past cause I'm like home and thinking about all that. 
And then Laura Dern showed up. Apparently she was the manager and we were asking her questions about the store. <laughs> um, what did she have to say? Um, I don't know. I was just, we were getting like a free sample and she just started talking about free samples and she's like, oh, there's more over in like the kid land. And she was like, it's on the second story. And I was like, I don't see a second story. And I think she winked and said like, oh, you'll see it once you're there. Wow. Nick, that's beautiful. Yeah. Laura Dern runs a giant themed grocery store in my brain. <laughs> I'm thoroughly jealous. I don't remember my dreams, but she wasn't there, I don't think. I've been having some pretty good ones lately. That was definitely a peak dream. Yeah, and like a well-stocked supermarket that feels like a coronavirus-specific, you know, in these uncertain times kind of dream, and that's lovely. And it was nice, but it was also like, it was so brightly lit that it reminded me of the um, Superstore in the One Hour Photo. Oh, yes. Like it had that lighting scheme, like white floor, white ceiling, white walls, very well lit. Did you see any creepy, creepy man? No, Robin Williams. Sigh. Oh, sigh. <laughs> what a, what a strange man. I like that movie a lot. Laura Dern uh, took a photo with her dog. No, she took a photo of her dog and put it on Instagram. Uh, what kind of dog? Uh, looks like a husky of some sort. Okay. He looks pleasant. I'm sure he's enjoying all this extra Dern time. I'd hope so. But I hope he's getting, you know, he's getting his steps in. Yeah, I'm sure he is. You know, Laura goes for walks. Yeah, but guys, be safe out there. I saw a lot of people in Philadelphia yesterday because it was a bright, sunny day. Um, But, like, yo, still got a virus. Stay inside. That's true. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm wagging my finger at him. You're wagging your tail. Finger. Fingertail. So, Max, I heard you uh, watched a movie this week. I did. Does that mean we should get into our big turn? Of course we should. Max, give it to me. Okay, well, movie. Did I watch a movie? Is That is a an important question here. It's really a question. Because of- kind of? The answer <laughs> is kind of. So <laughs> let's, let's take a, a walk down memory lane. This is a very strange story. In 1970-whatever, there was a hit film about a shark called Jaws. And it's a big hit film. A lot of people know it. A lot of people have seen it. It's got that little theme music when the shark's around. You know it. You guys know what I'm talking about. Big hit. Boom. Jaws. Richard Dreyfuss, before he was super lame. And... (laughs) There were obviously some like quick cash grabs. Jaws was like a whole new genre of like nature horror. (laughs) And so there was a movie called Grizzly that was made shortly thereafter in 1976, super low budget. And it was about like a monstrous grizzly bear in a national park. And it was just such a cash grab Jaws clone, but it was a pretty big hit. You know, I was really offended when Bernard Herzog did the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is all been He was riding the tail end of that wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so for our older listeners, they recall the big uh the big grizzly grizzly mania of nineteen seventy-six. And it made thirty-nine million dollars. And it was Wait, like a grizzly? low budget. Yeah, the first grizzly. It was it was a weird hit. 
And so then when your cash grab makes money, what yeah. do you got to do? You got to make a cash grab version of your cash grab. You got to double and that. Was a film called Grizzly Two, and <laughs> the the premise for Grizzly Two was that it was uh, basically a Yellowstone park. There's a monstrous grizzly, and there's like a Woodstock type concert happening in the park, mm-hmm. and then the grizzly bear attacks the concert, and the the concert goers, and that sort of that's the new twist. Um, this is why it was originally called Grizzly 2, The Concert. Question. Sure. Is, do they like have, re- is it like real bear footage or do they have like a large puppet? Is we'll the- talk about the bear footage, Nick. Like, I didn't know if it was like the dog from, um... Nick, spot. I will tell you this. The, the version of Grizzly 2 that I watched yeah. had, of it, from its own, no bear footage at oh. all. Great. <laughs> so what happened was the they were shooting in Hungary and instead of like faking a giant concert, they felt they needed a giant concert, which is baffling because if you're making like a dumb B-movie, low-budget movie about a concert, just get some concert footage and then shoot like a band or whatever yeah. and just splice them together. You don't need to throw a concert. But they did. They had like this giant shitty new wave festival in Hungary. They charged 15 bucks a pop. They got like 40,000 people there. All for this movie. But at some point in all this, and the history is quite fuzzy, I'd love to do a further deep dive, but every internet source says kind of the same vague things. The executive producer left with a bunch of money, may have ended up in prison, and this was before they had shot all the animatronic bear footage of their 20-foot bear. They were going to do all the special effects after, so they shot everything except the only scenes that really matter for this terrible movie, and that's the people getting attacked by a bear. And they had, at this point, they had the... Um, the script had to be rewritten, so they got the Hungarian uh, Hungarian caterer who had never written a script to like finish the script. And so, this movie we shouldn't be talking about this movie, but we are. And a lot of other people have been a lot of horror movie buffs that should have died. No one should remember this, except that there <laughs> were three people who this was their very first movie. And you might know these people. They are one, unsurprisingly, Ms. Laura Dern. Laura Dern? I they know. They are a young, this is 1983. Laura Dern's first movie, George Clooney's first movie. What? And Charlie Sheen's first movie. That is bananas. And they're all, you know, they're all Hollywood royalty. They all had famous parents. So, like, they all, this is what they got into. So, they were all in Hungary shooting this. And they're not in it at all. Spoiler, they're the three teen campers who just get killed by a bear pretty quickly into the movie. And But they're all famous, so now people are like, this is like a lost movie. It never came out originally. And people wanted to see it. People were clamoring to see that film. And like some of the footage got out. 
And earlier this year, in February of 2020, this movie finally got like an official release where they reshot some stuff, they added in the bear stuff. Uh huh. But I didn't watch that because you can't find that. It was just at like one festival. Someday you might be able to watch that. What I watched was a bootleg fan cut from 2007. <laughs> and it was, Nick, this was the worst quality video I've ever seen. I would not have known it was Laura Dern, George Clooney, or Charlie Sheen, were it not for, like, I couldn't recognize them. People were not recognizable. This was such bad quality, except Laura Dern's voice, and they were right away. And so that's what I watched. So not only is it a terrible movie, I watched this terrible fan cut, which they tried. What they did was take grisly, violent shots and scenes from the first Grizzly, Mm -hmm. from an unrelated film called Claws, that's basically the same fucking cash grab. (laughs) And like, so you'd get... It'd be like concert set up Woodstock and then quick cl- cut to a random character we've never seen because they're not a character in this movie. Just getting like close up mauled by a giant 20 foot grizzly. Wow. And oh, the best part. So all these scenes, they've got their, um, the music is like unlicensed. It's not, you know, they hadn't licensed the music yet. They were going to add that in later. So it was just like a sample music track and it's just Michael Jackson's greatest hits. So every scene just has like a random different Michael Jackson song on it. Oh, wow. This sounds like, like if during the thriller era, Michael Jackson just told, um, I think Zemeckis, who directed Thriller? It was like, it was a bigger name. Put me on the spot. I don't know. One second. We're not, we're not sports alcohol. We're not knowledgeable about this stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. okay. Thriller director. But it would be like if he went to Jerry Kramer. Okay, it doesn't matter. If No, John Landis. That's who we're at. John Landis. If he went up to him and said, you know what? I don't want zombies. I want bears. Yes. I that is exactly what. Hot young teens in the woods, but also at a music festival in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Correct. So let's dive in to this not good film. Please. There is more. <laughs> so there is a concert being held in what's basically Yosemite National Park. And the superintendent of parks, a very powerful person, is Louise Fletcher, best known for known for her role as Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. She is she is would I undoubtedly the biggest name in this film at the time. And she is this sort of stern, serious, I don't know the details, but like this concert needs to happen for political reasons. She's like on the phone with senators and important people are coming and the press is gonna be there and it's gotta go out off without a hitch. She's basically like, who is it, the mayor in Jaws who like needs to keep the beach open. It's an election year. Right. It's exactly that. It's like Louise Fletcher, political, money reasons, this concert needs to happen. Okay, great. Um, She's like there while they're setting up and she's like a real nurse ratchet. She's like a serious, stern woman. And the people setting it up are like just fun, kind of like, 
raunchy party kind of people, like a slick talking producer who's like probably doing drugs and like roadies. Yeah, yeah, you got roadies. There's like it's so she's kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is gonna go well. So there's like the concert plot line. Then meanwhile, you've got four poachers <gasps> in the woods. And the poachers are trying to poach grizzly bears to get their gallbladders. Of course. And the re- now I did a little research. This is real because bear bile is a hot ticket in China. So you, it's really fucked up. Um, if you want to learn fucked up things, read about bear bile and the process of stealing, stealing bears bile. Uh, it's how I learned about the existence of the sun bear in Southeast Asia, which are adorable. And they have these, but these really sad eyes, like, you know, they've just had generations of, like, bile theft. They look just innately sad, but they're beautiful and they're brown. And they have this yellow sort of, like, Wu-Tang symbol on their chest. They all have it. We'll put a picture of a sun bear. They're, mm, they're really sweet. If you want to see cute bears and then get sad, Google sun bears. <laughs> And so they want the bile to sell to, to go to San Francisco and sell in Chinatown to make a bunch of money. It's these four poacher types. They're all very poachery. They're like outdoorsy kind of redneck. And yes, Nick. One second. So this concert is taking place in Hungary. Like it's not just filmed. No, 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 no. It was filmed in Hungary. It takes place in the U.S. Okay, because I was thinking, like, why would they go all the way from Hungary to San Francisco Chinatown when they could much easily just go they'd be, to... Right, they'd be close to China. Yes. Like, the, uh, any town in China, because yeah. it would be Chinatown. Any town in China is Chinatown. They could take that express, the... Uh, the Orient Express. That's it. Yeah. The Murder Express. <laughs> so, they, uh, one of them is our first casualty, gets killed by the giant bear. Now, only one of the other poachers is with him, and he reports back. He's like, guys, he's dead. I saw him get mauled by this grizzly. Um, oh, because he was, like, chopping up. He, he killed a bear cub, and then was chopping up the bear cub to get its gallbladder. Yeah, and then mama bear, 20-foot-tall mama bear, comes in, arr, takes him down. But we don't actually get that footage, naturally. That's a shame. So the other poachers, it's like the one guy's like, no, we can't mess with this bear. It's too big. And the others are like, we got to kill it. We can make a hundred thou off that bear bile. And so the park ranger gets wind of this, that there's been a bear killing. And he's sort of your everyman ranger guy, sort of a lead in this film. Good guy. And he goes to Nurse Ratchet and says, we've got to call off the concert. There's been a, a bear mauling. She's like, no, we can't. It's all about the money, right? It's an election year. So he then enlists the help of a woman whose title is Director of Bear Management. Of course. every the part. <laughs> Which I assume means there's like a whole chain of employees underneath her like associate director of bear management 
and like, oh, I'm the, the like assistant supervisor of bear management. An NBC sitcom waiting to happen. <laughs> True. They'll call it Parks and Rec. <laughs> so she, this woman, she's got real Diane energy from Cheers. She's like, she's a wet blanket, feel good. What about the animals? Oh, don't hurt the bears. That's her. She's like, the bears have feelings. The bear was just protecting its young. Any bear could have done that. And everyone else is like, yeah, but this is a giant bear and we need to kill it. It's a monster. And she's like, well, aren't we the monsters? You know, she's doing that old shtick. Yeah. And (laughs) so the bear... Then we've got these three teens hiking through the woods. There's really not much of interest here. We get like one scene, Laura Dern's kind of the ditzy one who doesn't want to be hiking, but they're all doing it to sneak into the, um, the concert. Mm-hmm. And she, she and George Clooney are like sleeping together in their sleeping bag and then they get killed by a bear and then Charlie Sheen's like, what's going on? And then he gets killed by a bear. That's it, it sucks. And Grizzly Man. Yeah, you got it. I should have just watched that film. Nah, I think that film would be much sadder. <laughs> this film is sad. A lot of people get killed by bears, including yeah, young Laura Dern. <laughs> so, so then the uh, back at the concert setup, we get like random Jamaican drug dealer who's like the first over-the-top racist caricature in this film. Great. Yeah. And he's like, he's just got like dreadlocks. He's like, you Americans need to relax, man. And they're like, hey, I told you to get out of here. Like the concert promoter like recognizes him particularly as the guy selling weed at the concert. He's like, not you again. So yeah, there's just one one guy selling weed at a concert, fifty thousand people, and he happens to be like a, just a Rastaman. Every concert has only one drug dealer. That's the rule. <laughs> so we get like these these setup these people setting up for the concert. There's a lot of aerobics, which I think was just how like 1983 like people did things. It was a lot of fitness wear and like there's one guy who's like working like setting up and he's just doing these strange leg stretches for no reason like against like scaffolding. Yeah. And he's sort of a young stud and there's this young lady who's the daughter of the park ranger guy and she's like she's flirting with him and he's like doing his reps and she's like do you want me to help you count? (laughs) She's like just so she's like it's like yeah I'm at twenty three she's like, twenty three twenty four <laughs> and that's their like blatant flirtation it's great pretty hot <laughs> right really really revs you up so <laughs> what are these people gonna do about the bear now this has gotten serious we got four deaths and the concert's gonna happen any whenever now people are already showing up and the so what do they do? They need to enlist the greatest bear trapper ever. And his name is Bouchard. <laughs> and Bouchard, this is great, because if you're gonna make a typical B-horror movie with like blatant racist caricature yeah. characters, they're usually just gonna be one racist caricature. 
right? If you're going to have an evil Frenchman, he's just going to be Jacques the evil, untrustworthy Frenchman, right? And if you're going to have like a, a shifty native, he's going to be like corn moon, <laughs> like wolf who like senses the spirits, right? Moon. <laughs> and this, this is both. It is a French Indian, which is like a good representation of racist caricatures. Well, you know, the French and Indian War, we usually don't put them together in our popular film, so it was nice to see. Bouchard is the, the greatest grizzly hunter of all time, and he is a French Indian, and he just like straddles the line of both of those caricatures perfectly. <laughs> that is madness. And he is played by... John Rice Davies, I believe is his name. He is Gimli from the Lord of the Rings, the dwarf with the axe. Yeah, so it's like a younger Gimli. Uh, And (laughs) there's this, so Diane, I'm just going to call her, wet blanket lady, Peacemick, Ms. Greenpeace, PETA incarnate, obviously doesn't want, she knows of the history of this deadly, awful, bear hunter and they have a flashback it's the one flashback (laughs) and he uh it's just him bragging to her about all the bears he's killed (laughs) like i killed 20 grizzly bears in one day which is guys i don't grizzlies are not easy to take down uh one man killing 20 by himself is like a bear holocaust (laughs) that's his like lore so you got the men are all like yeah this guy needs to do it and then she's like no don't do it and then he like sets up this whole convoluted trap or something I don't know I couldn't see what was happening Yeah, and he kills the bear he's like I got it I killed the bear (laughs) and then she shows up and she's like that's a male bear you killed the wrong bear. So this legendary bear trapper who's also just like bloodthirsty just like gets off on killing bears because he's an evil man. Kills the wrong one. And then she's like, you killed the wrong bear. And he goes, he's like, you two. He's like, he's like no problem. You two, get out of here. Leave the devil bear to Bouchard. Like, I will kill all the bears. Man. Imagine apartment. <laughs> so I don't know. Then what happens? Like then the bear makes its way to the concert. Oh no no! Before that happens, then the concert starts happening, and we get all these way way too long musical performances. Mm-hmm. And because it's 1983, we get um, it's all bizarre new new wave. It's like none of this would, this would all be so dated within like six months of this movie being made, let alone 27 years, 37 years. Mm -hmm. And it's all these different performances and again, more strange aerobics. It's like all the backup dancers are like aerobic dancers in like spandex and stuff because that's how they did it. At one point there's a guy just curling dumbbells on stage. Is it Dolph Lundgren? I really want it to be Dolph. No, no one, no one that famous. The most famous uh, musical performers are a band called Toto Coelho, 
a one-hit wonder known for their 1980-whatever hit, I Eat Cannibals. And they're basically like a New Age Spice Girls, or a New Wave Spice Girls. <laughs> there are like five women, they all have like their own little gimmick. And their song is just like if you wanted to make a bad, dumb New Wave song, it's like, it's like, welcome to the world of automation. And they're doing robot moves. Everything is free. No work, only pleasure. <laughs> you can be who you want to be. Like that. Just like spacey new wave, like we get it, right? You sing about robots, cool, and and it's like a full song of that. They do like three or four of these, or you just gotta sit through these shitty new wave songs, <laughs> and then and then like intercut with a random bear bear mauling from the movie Claws, and then the bear gets to the actual concert. And it's, this is where not being able to really see what's going on really sucked. And I'd want to see the new version that's like actual, you can see what's happening just for this. Because apparently there's this big set piece at the end. And the bear, like they're hunting the bear, but it comes out into the concert and it kills Bouchard. He gets like speared on like, a thing. He gets speared on some concert equipment, you know, whatever. And then the bear like climbs the lights and I think it's like electrocuted on the lights, maybe, gets fried, and it's like on on the state side of the stage where everyone can see. And Louise Fletcher is there with like her press people and her senator. And they're like, is this part of the performance? And she's just like, uh, yes. That's exactly it. And they're like, bravo. Wow. I mean, hey, when you that deep. <laughs> you a giant death bear just get electrocuted on stage. And I, that's probably the end. I don't, if anything happened after that, I don't know or care. This hey. movie's trash. And like, the whole thing feels very like Geraldo opening the, the Egyptian vault. Do you know about that? Wasn't right, it, it was Al Capone's vault? What's that? Wasn't it Al Capone's vault? Oh, is it Al Capone's? I thought it was like Tutankhamun's vault or whatever. No, whatever. one of those. He probably did it <laughs> He like opened a vault. It was this big, oh, everyone, what's inside? What's inside? And it's just like, oh, nothing. There's a newspaper. Oh, this was a waste of time. That's how this movie feels, or it's like, 37 years later, people are like making fan cuts to like, yeah, like the world ought to see the first film with Laura Dern, George Clooney, and Charlie Sheen. It's like, oh, it, well, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the dead dove bag. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. <sighs> this is a trash film. Yeah, it was great. This movie just makes me wish that the second Jaws film was like at a concert. <laughs> but still a shark. Yeah, no, it would be like like a concert on the beach. On the water. Yeah, I think that would be a good um, second Jaws film. Well, did they ever do that? Aren't there like four or five? I think they probably did that. But I I don't know. I would need to look. I don't know Jesse if they knows. festival is the centerpiece. If not, hey, cash grab. This is the time for a new Jaws film. It's been like at least. The iron's hot. 
Yeah, I don't know. Any questions about this bad film? I mean... Anyone can watch it. Oh, there is? There's, like, the one... It's total bootleg. It's on archive.org if anyone wants to subject themselves to this. And there's, like, one comment from the the producer who owns the rights and it's just like take this down right now or i will have to sue you and it's been on this website for years and years and i guess the comment is from 2008 (laughs) i guess she never quite got that cease and desist out lawyers cost money it's true (laughs) and the woman who made this surely has none (laughs) she's still in the red 47 years later Wow. So, uh... <laughs> Between two turns. with harmonica. We have music this week. Um, so should I start? Yeah. As we've discussed, that's how we do this. Structure is an illusion. Um, you know, nothing much has been between my turns this week. Um been reading my Stephen King book. I'm almost done. I'm probably gonna pound out the rest of it tonight. I also found out- The book is, is Everything's Eventual, for those who yeah. don't know. I realized this is an audio medium. It's an English, like a copy from England, and I don't know how I got it. Ooh, is it illegal? The only clue is an F plus written inside the first page. So have, I guess- Have you ever had any bootleg books? Um, not that I know of. I've gotten some bootleg movies before, like physical copies, like a tape or a disc. Chinatown, right next to the the bear bile. Heck yeah, you get some bear bile, you get a karate. Some of those little turtles that are illegal. And uh, like a Tupac's Greatest Hits double disc. Personal. Tupac album that was never released. You can only get it in Chinatown. Um, I watched Night at the Museum 2 the other night. Weird choice. Pretty, it was on, I don't know. I was bored. It's not a bad movie. The Night at the Museum films are very good, and they were written by the two guys who did um, Reno 911. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Tom, Tom Lennon and... Uh, also wrote the newest Herbie the Love Bug film, which kind of... Yeah, and have really embraced their, like, oh, we're just gonna, like, make a bajillion dollars right they they wrote a book about it yeah they're like screenwriting book is like how to how to write for fun and profit or something and they're like look straight up like this is how you do it to make a bunch of money and they're very good at it now they have the money to make reno 911 again reno 912 yes 910 no they're going to england now (laughs) (laughs) 900 900 i don't know Eh. Reno 90210. Get on the lorry. Bunch of bobbies on the lorry. Is that how they talk there? It is. They say aluminium. Ugh, freaks. Um, one other thing I guess I'll shout out since I'm talking and I don't got much to say. Um, I've been listening to a podcast I like a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. What podcast? It's called Podcast The Ride. <laughs> what is Podcast The Ride? It's a podcast all about um, theme parks and adjacent things. They do contests about who has the best fake rocks. They did a fake smell, um, like a pool recently, where they had to like narrow down all the fake smells to like the ultimate fake smell. When you say fake smell, I don't understand at all. 
Um, so let's just say you were in Universal Studios in the late 90s and you were on the King Kong ride and King Kong came up to your car and you got sprayed with a mist of fake banana smell. Oh. That's a fake smell. That's monkey racist. It is. <laughs> that, I, oh, wow. Feel them from the tips. They squeeze them and they just open up. They're smarter than us. That sounds amazing. I love, I have a, a good friend who is a roller coaster enthusiast. Nice. And so I've gone with him so, to some American, some ace American coaster enthusiast events I'm where like they'll close off a ride for like private members only at a theme park. And these people are obsessed. They live and breathe coasters. Some of them are even more niche where it's like, they like the haunted rides in particular and they like have rode and ranked every single one. It's like, they're like people out of a Christopher Guest movie. It's very strange and beautiful community. But uh, yeah, I want to join that community, A, and B, you should check out this podcast. Um, they have like a bunch of different rides, a bunch of different sub options. They go to like, they don't, they talk about Disney and Universal a lot, but they'll go into like, other parks, like smaller ones, more like local community parks. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, the last one I went uh, last summer to Knobles, which Great. is highly regarded for those who don't know, who aren't in the Pennsylvania area, you might not know Knobles. Hidden in the hills of Pennsylvania, it is a lovely, timeless, wonderful theme park with one of the best, what was rated last year as the number one wooden roller coaster in the world. With some other. Um, the one that slides like the uh no they had that was that one's really fun but they have the only trackless wooden coaster so it's basically like a bobsled track and that's what you're talking about and it took it was like 20 years in the making they dismantled it and rebuilt it multiple times they're like this isn't gonna work and then one guy maybe like one of the big big wigs at six flags was like look i want this to happen i'll help you design it I I want this to exist and it's super fun but it's very short if it were longer if it were like twice as long it would be the most amazing ride it's very fun to experience but it's very quickly and it's also very technical I wrote it once and like they have to get the weight just right like within 10 or 20 pounds like they will kick people off and like rearrange groups Mm -hmm. yeah they weigh you it's a whole to do a whole to do but you know it's a good park they also have a great haunted house they do yeah I don't know how that ranks, um, but I know people who would. It's def- like it's definitely an old-timey haunted house. It's just like a dark room with like spotlights on like a witch in a barrel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like that's, I'm a, that's a thing I like, just that old-timey charm. It is. It's very charming. It's like $2. When <laughs> I went, they had the, the covered, covered bridge festival, and they had like a petting zoo. <laughs> I got to meet some old llamas. Aw, some yeah. respect showbiz llamas it's true yeah they're all just yeah right one small step before the glue factory for these these animals and they'll use that glue to repair the park so it's a (laughs) cycle circle of life so max what's between your turns this week um i also listened to a podcast did you this one is called sports alcohol you can find it at sportsalcohol.com. And the reason, 
it sounds like it would be, I don't know, like a crappy bar stool clone, but it's not. It's about, um, I don't know, pop culture, I guess. Uh, the episode I listened to was about the best films of 2019. And the reason I listened to this is because my dear friend, Jesse, who I ingest hoped had the coronavirus, but in truth, eh, I hope he gets like a mild flu. He, this is his <laughs> podcast. Well, I can't wish the mild flu upon someone for stealing our, our classic Dern review bit. Being the bigger man, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I listened to Sports Alcohol, and I will say most of the people on here, they got it right. They knew that Parasite was the best film of 2019, which it was. Everyone knows it. It's great. Even the Academy got that one right. Burn it all down, class struggle. It was funny. It was all different genres. It was fun. It was deep. It was a thriller. It was cool. Great film, number one. Uh, but our dear friend Jesse, this is where he got it wrong. You know what his, you know what his favorite film of 2019 was? I go ahead. I'm already upset, but <laughs> Nick does not endorse this kind of bashing. No, it's uh, fine. I just I'm. I know you're going to say a movie that I might not agree with. That's why I'm upset. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I haven't seen it yet, but... A perfectly fine film, Nicholas. A perfectly fine derivative Quentin Tarantino film. It had its moments. It had Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate, which was very well played. And perhaps the best part about the movie was making this woman who's known only as the uh, victim of a grisly murder by most these days into her own character with her own narrative. It was fun, it was wistful, it was, it had its moments. Um, but to call it the best, oh shame. Shame on you, Jesse. What I did like to Jesse's credit, I believe it was him, I might've gotten the voices wrong, but he said he is a Noah Baumbach fanatic. Points to you and points to whichever woman on the podcast referenced the Topher Grace rom-com Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, because uh, that, that movie is not remembered by many, and it ought to be, because it is a lovely Topher Grace rom-com. Um, but I also, so testament to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I actually wrote up a little treatment for Tarantino's next film, um, you know, so he can use kind of the similar motifs and derive from his his previous oeuvre, as he often does. I said oeuvre to kind of compete with sports alcohol. They use a lot of big words, Nick. Yeah, they use words where I was like, there was a week in high school where I knew what that word meant. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm really not sure. There's a lot of that. They're very good props to them. Um, but so here's my treatment for the next Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Pakistan. Oh no. <laughs> it takes place in the year uh, 2000 and it stars Brad Pitt. He's like a hunky, charming Afghanistan war vet and he's riding a motorcycle across the country. He's shirtless. Um, he goes, <laughs> so he goes kind of from city to desert, to city, to desert, you know, on this journey. He's going from, uh, let's say, Hyderabad to Islamabad. And 
I thought you were talking about in America for a second, and I was like, Max, there's only really one desert, but... <laughs> no, no, no. The, again, once upon a time, the film takes place in Pakistan. I understand now. Right. Can... So, and so it's not really about the Pakistani culture or experience at all. So when it's in the cities, it's a kung fu movie, right? It's all like fight scenes and Brad Pitt just deftly fights like baddies all over. And then in the desert, then it's a Western. And it works because Pakistan is sort of the West of the East, right? It's West of the Far East and it kind of, so it straddles both. Um, so it's like, Kung Fu, Western, Tarantino, mwah. And then, right, there's this one scene where he's in, in, like, the desert, and Brad Pitt sees an old man with a goat, and he calls him, Brad Pitt calls him, like, a raghead. Ooh. Which, yeah, and, like, you know it's going to stir up the forums when it gets released. But it's really subversive, and it's about, like, no, like, Tarantino's sort of shining a light on that. And so we still get to love Brad Pitt because he's just like this lovable hunk who does no wrong. So even when he does wrong, we're like, okay, it's fine. And like, it feels, it feels artistic when he says it, right? Like and when so, he said the N-word all those times in that other movie. <laughs> yeah, you got it. And then, then he meets Patricia Arquette. Um, she's um, like a madam in a seedy brothel in Islamabad. Yeah. And they... They do, they smoke a bunch of opium together on like these nice silks and they have a lot of like pop culture banter while they're like high on opium and Brad Pitt paints her toenails. And then while he's like nodding off, just like, just doped up, um, he goes, he just kind of wanders into this compound and like manages to sneak through and there's Osama bin Laden just plotting the 9-11 attacks and Brad Pitt, like while he's half asleep, just like nodding off, just mows down Osama bin Laden and like a bunch of random Pakistani people with bullets and just melts them with bullets. Um, and that'll be Quentin Tarantino's next movie. You really pulled from a lot of Quentin Tarantino material for this. I'm proud yeah. of you. And I will, I will segue that into what I genuinely was disappointed with of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, because I did, it is really good. It's a really good movie. You should see it. And, but it does the same thing where at the end, and I'm just going to spoil this for you and our listeners because it's important to talk about. Um, it's all right before the Manson murders leading up. Oh, is there going to be some climax to that? And like Brad Pitt and... Leonardo DiCaprio end up murdering the whole Manson family. And it's like, cool, fun. It's like, yeah, crime goes wild, right? Yay. But now he, he did it in Inglorious Bastards, which is my yeah. favorite Tarantino film. He did it in Django. And now he did it in this. It's like, dude, you don't have to just do like the revisionist ending. And it especially sucks because Inglorious Bastards, the whole thing is really the statement on violence. And like we watch we watch the Nazis celebrate their war hero sniper for killing a bunch of people and like watch them in a movie theater, like applaud that. And it's like supposed to be like, Oh, that's kind of fucked up. But then we do that when Hitler gets melted with bullets and we're supposed to be like, Oh, that's kind of fucked up in this. It just feels like, Oh, here's, here's just like a fun, violent ending that I wanted to give you just for shits. And it's just like a laugh riot. And it's like, 
why, man? And I think it undercuts that sh- that Sharon Tate by giving her. It, it would have been such a cool, powerful ending to just not have any of it. To like lead up to the Manson stuff and then just exclude it completely from the film. I think that would have been a more subversive ending and more true to what the movie set up. And the movie was like 15 minutes too long, which Tarantino does sometimes and like would have solved that problem. But Bruce Dern's in it. Huh, that guy. Yeah. I know him. Yeah, so listen to that podcast pretty good jesse i don't hate you i'm gonna keep saying mad things about you and uh because this is a beef now we, come we at me dig, dig deep into the podcast you'll find out how i put candles up my butt <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a that's a classic uh dirt after reading deep cut <laughs> oh man well guess it's time for uh a little tiny little dern little dern Alrighty, so the year is 1984. Ronald Reagan is in the White House. You're watching ABC in early November. And you know what you see? You see the Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio, starred in a movie, a television movie, directed by the director of Free Willy. And you think, yes, you think, I'm going to watch this. How bad could it be? Well, you're going to be surprised because it's going to be bad and good. This is a little movie called The Three Wishes of Billy Geyer. Alrighty. Right off the bat, it reminds me of every movie I had to watch in middle school. It's low quality. The version I watched was free on YouTube, but it was clearly like ripped from a VHS. And just the music is so generic, but dramatic. And it's just, it's, whew, it's something. It's something else. <laughs> Can I, um, so you mentioned the Karate Kid, just one little aside that I forgot to bring up. Um, you know who was originally supposed to play the Karate Kid? I don't know. Was Charlie Sheen. I might... Do you know why he didn't? Oh, no. Why? So he could be in Grizzly too. Really? Yes. That's insane. <laughs> oh my god. What? You okay. picked the wrong horse. Okay, so as I mentioned last week, I think, on the air, um, this is a movie about a teenage boy who starts aging drastically. And he has three wishes. And those wishes are to drive a car, make love to a woman, and play in a jazz band. And I'm telling you this now because we do not hear his wishes until 38 minutes into the movie. In fact, it's 10 minutes in before we even know he plays music. Okay, but we'll get there. So we start with him as an old man. And by old man, I mean a 16-year-old wearing age makeup that makes Oh, no. Oh, it's bad. And they, they won an Emmy for the makeup in this movie, but it is so bad. Like, at his oldest, he looks like when they age the actor that plays Biff in Back to the Future. And like, but it's like Halloween store makeup. It's not good. And maybe it's a child. Like, how could they? If it were like a cleaner cut, maybe it would look better. But just like for the quality of what I was watching, it looked bad. Like it looked like they just like drew lines and like grayed his hair and gave him like a half bald cap. (laughs) And the dialogue in this is fantastic. They basically did what they do on like SNL to make like a really old person. They did. And like, oh my God, it, 
in the opening, it's like him walking around and you hear an overcut of him clearly talking to a doctor. And the last thing she says is, are you ready for death? And he says, maybe. And then we cut to one year later. Um, he just got out of the doctor. He like hurt his knee, but his, his mom is super worried. She's super overprotective the whole time. And at one point he says, mom, your lungs are going to fall out because she talks so much about how she wants to protect him, I guess. The dialogue gets really Fine weird. choice, sure. And let me just say, this is a great movie for a hypochondriac to watch, which I am, because it's a movie about a kid just catching a magical disease that makes him age and die within a year. <laughs> oh, so he wasn't born with it. He just, no, it's, it's a it's, sudden onset illness. It's, they say he contracted it, first of all, which seems weird, because this doesn't seem like a real thing. <laughs> at all. And, like, it's never brought up that it runs in his family, or it's a it's super rare. So there wasn't like an old witch in the beginning. No, there are no, no cauldrons here. They say it's like a metabolism thing. Like his metabolism just speeds up and makes him age quicker, which isn't, it's just, it's so bad. And Is like, it, are there like anti-gay undertones? Was like he making some bad choices as a young boy and not going in the right direction. And he's been cursed with this. Not really. Um, he has a single mom. That's something that'll come to play later. It gets, this gets really weird. Okay. So his grandpa is played by Hal Holbrook, who is famous for playing Mark Twain for like 80 years. And started, Nick is also a huge fan of. I am. He's been in a lot of movies I like, and he has literally been an old man his entire life. He started in 1950, like the 50s, mid-50s, playing Mark Twain as an old man, and he continued to do it until like four years ago. And he's just been an old man that entire time. So do you think this movie is like loosely based on Hal Holbrook's life? It could Like, be. does he have this? Did he contract this? Maybe. He looks like this is an, a 1984 movie. He is still alive. He still looks just the same, an old man. And he just looks so gruff. He's such a grumpy old, like, he's basically playing Mark Twain. He just, he kind of does the voice a little bit. It's, <laughs> Like, it's not bad. I like it. But like, it's just, this movie is such a grouping of weird things. I don't know how better to say it. At one point, um, Grandpa Hal Holbrook says, animals are better off than old folks. Huh. I, there's there's some, some of them. Not the sun bears. I know, yeah. So many, there's so many pull quotes from this that just confuse me and seem like weird off sentences that they had to include for like contract reasons. And like, he's trying to get his grandpa laid. And, like, they talk about it a lot. Like, it'll come up later again. And he, like, he hooks him up with a lady down the hall. And they end up dating. But, like, it's just weird that he's so interested in his grandfather's love life. But isn't he trying to get laid, too? He is. We'll get there. Um, so there's, like, some weird foreshadowing with him talking to his grandpa. And then he will become an old man like his grandpa. But, like, real quick. Not the normal way people do. Really? Like, in a couple weeks? Yeah. Um, so, like... We cut to the mom and the stepdad or like the boyfriend. They're bickering because the mom's overprotective and like she didn't take a good job because she wanted to be with her son. And she gets all riled up and they go out to night garden, her and the son, because that's what normal people do when they're mad at their partners. Wait, night garden? Yes, it's nighttime and they go out to plant like tulips or something. Oh, I didn't know that was a verb. I don't know, but they go out. Like, it's clear that the boy knows that they had a fight, so she just wants to go outside. And, like, the flowers are a thing that will keep coming back. Like, later, when she's super depressed, um, 
she's like she's staying in she's not going to work she's not paying her bills and then like they go to cut off her gas and they step on the flower bed and she runs out and like snaps out of the depression and like is better and then she starts care like the sun runs away at one you gotta try that one i don't even know some flowers and (laughs) like the sun runs away and she starts taking care of the garden after she snaps out of her depression and then like at the very end the flowers are fully bloomed and the sun's like almost dead there's so much weird like really forced symbolism in this <laughs> okay so 10 minutes in we find out that he wait loved- hold, just real quick is she happy so her son runs away and then dies and her depression is lifted no okay we'll get there but like her they find out he has this weird degenerative disease and he runs away because he wants to go do his like three weird things and she's super depressed because i guess her son was her whole life and then she snaps out of it and she like is fine with it. And then he, he does come back then at the end and like the flowers are blooming and she's like taking good care of herself and doing better as a person. And also their relationship, which is very strained at the beginning is just magically fixed at the end. Yeah. Which might just be because he's dying and she doesn't want to fight him. But like, you know, it just seems like everything gets a nice bandage on it because he ran away and had sex with an older stripper, but we'll get there. <laughs> Okay, so we're 10 minutes in. He has a saxophone. He's in the park with his girlfriend, Laura Dern, who is so pretty. It's obviously a very young Laura Dern. It's one of her first roles. She's just, she doesn't have any accent. She's just talking like herself. And they're just like a nice young couple. They're kind of silly. And she's like, go ahead. Sorry. Did did you notice was her voice just a little higher than we're used to? Because I noticed that in this, where it was like 16-year-old Dern. And it was like, Dern voice, but... 16-year-old to five. It was definitely a young Dern voice. Like, it was definitely on par with her normal voice, but, like, it was, you could tell she was young. She just, she was very pale, young. She mm-hmm. had, like, an, an Olympic sweater on. She looked really nice. And they're, like, running in the park, and he's playing for her, and she's like, I want to have sex. And he's like, are you sure? And she's like, I think so. And, um... Then we cut to the doctor again, Jeffrey Tambor who has very dark hair, but is also balding in the center, very noticeably. It just looks like a, like a wool crown of thorns. And that was probably his real hair, right? I feel oh, like no, he was. Bald for, since at He's least something about Mary. His entire life. Um, we get this, this, we cut so much in this film. I'm just going to try my best here. Um, we cut back to grandpa, who's now dating the old lady and like going out with her and they're going down the stairs from their apartment. And he says, do you have a cat? And she says, parakeet. And he says, that's okay. <laughs> like I wrote said, this dialogue is atrocious. I think it was also written by the director. So the director of free Willy really has some explaining to do. <laughs> and okay. We cut back to him almost having sex with Laura Dern, but she isn't ready. And, like, it's fine. They don't, he just, like, says some silly thing, like, uh, women. And she's like, women! And they have a little, like, fake tussle. At this point, this entire movie seems like an overdone PSA for something, but it never really says what it but is. But we don't know what. <laughs> just, like, the, the way it's filmed and the really generic music, it just reads as some weird PSA with no point up to this point. Um, so he goes in for some tests because he doesn't feel like himself, and they, like, run him through all these tests that he doesn't tell his mother about. And, like, him and his mother have a really weird relationship. Like, she's super protective and, like, 
just set they have a weird way to communicate which might just be because like they're not real people or because like it's a single single mother and a son who and she's very doting and that could be part of it anyway so he finds out he has less than a year to live and they no they find out they don't tell him they bring the mom in and they're like we need to tell you something and she says excuse me i have to go and then she walks back in and says what is it cancer what is it and then they tell her he has a one year to live old man disease and then she says excuse me i have to go again and then she walks out the door and faints this whole movie is so taxing. Um, Billy is very upset, and you could tell this because there's several shots of him just staring out the window at different times. How else would you show it? I, I don't know. Especially in 1984, that's all they had, window staring. And then Billy, um, he decides, I'm going to run away. I'm going to go meet my dad and do three things that are my final wishes. And he has not told Laura Dern what's happening yet. He hasn't called her in days, apparently, and he just says... I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I have to go now. And she says, I love you. We will never hear from or about Laura Dern again. I think she, I know what happened. What happened? She gave it to him, right? Just the thought. And here's our PSA. Now we know what it's about. It's about even entertaining the thought of premarital sex. Is wrong. Is wrong. So it Laura Dern was is an evil succubus essentially <laughs> in this film and she looks sweet she looks innocent and that's what that's how you know she's evil is because they all do they have their little cheeky banter she looks lovely sweet girl next door vibes spunky precocious you know young dern and she's nothing but a common trollop and she we contracted it where did he get it from well who was he last seen with he was canoodling with little dern and Case closed. save it till marriage just say no save it for marriage or you'll die in a year from an old man benjamin button disease also i would like to add at this point he has gray hair it has been like i don't know two weeks since he found out this whole thing was happening and he he like i think he leave he like maybe takes money from his mother's purse leaves a note and he just bounces and he's wearing like a newsy cap and dark sunglasses and he's carrying a saxophone in a backpack. He looks like a kid dressed as Bill Clinton. <laughs> like, like a dead ringer for like a kid on Halloween dressed as Bill Clinton if it were like 10 years later. Um, uh, so much going on here. Then he gets on a Greyhound bus and he meets this older woman named Phyllis. And I say, I say older like, she was probably maybe like late 30s, early 40s, but like a not great late 30s, early 40s. She was, she's an adult entertainer. She's clearly like seen some stuff. She kind of has to use her body to get through life. Like later she has to sleep with a mechanic to get her car fixed and that's a whole hubbub, but. Um, we're about a third of the way through the movie now and he has not yet mentioned his goals which I only mentioned at the beginning so you would know because they don't come up for a while. Um, we find out Phyllis is a topless dancer. This is revealed as she buys him lunch because she feels bad because he's a in pain old man. And she never realizes that she, he's 15 years old. Oh, she thinks he's an old man. I guess, like she never says anything. And every time she tries to ask him questions, he says, if you're gonna be with me, you're not gonna ask questions. He gets really Humphrey Bogart about it. <laughs> so like, 
his emotional state from here on out just baffles me. And also the way she treats him baffles me. Um, at one point she says, if you don't have dreams, what do you got? And then she takes him home and um, he's like sleeping on some chairs and she's like, you can sleep in my bed if you're going to behave. And he's like, that's fine. And he gets in bed and he finally like, he says, are you awake? And she says no. And then he just starts dumping all of his dreams on her. He's like, I want to play in a band like we saw at the restaurant today. And she's like, okay, you can do that. And then he says, and I want to drive a car. And she says, you can do that tomorrow. That's fine. And then she says, uh, he says, I want to make love to a woman. And he, she's like, what? <laughs> and he's, she's like, why would you want to make love to a woman? And he's like, because. And she's like, that's a good answer. And there's this little back and forth and then nothing happens. Um, the next day, Phyllis needs to get a small business loan for something and she takes him with her and he doesn't like help her get the loan and she's mad at him, which is really confusing because I don't know why that has to be a part of this relationship. Um, he, he breaks off for a while. He has to go find his dad, which is a fourth goal that he doesn't mention, but is also the main reason for the trip, I guess. And he goes to this place called the two o'clock club where he used to work and a hooker comes on to him like a real, a real not great, like, LA older woman go ahead he worked at the oh his dad used to work at the two yeah because this there's like a submission where he wants to meet his dad but also he wants to accomplish his three other goals and ah he smashes the window he gets kicked out because he's 15 and the, the hooker like makes him buy champagne for her it's a whole thing um and then uh, sorry one second I'm losing my trace because this movie is a roller coaster we we cut to the mom she's at home she's like suicidal she's super sad she's not paying her bill she's staying in um okay now we cut back to Phyllis trying to have sex with the mechanic and um, Billy won't let her, and he's, like, giving her this whole talk about how she's better than that in a way that would be, like, appropriate if he was her lover or boyfriend or anything to her and not just a weird old kid she found on a bus. <laughs> he's trying to, like, Richard gear her. He is, and it's so weird. Like, he's been with her for, like, what, four days at this point? Why does he feel a need to, like, be her dad? Ugh. <laughs> so weird and then he finally plays he, after this he like has to prove himself to her and he's like i want you to stay so you can watch me play saxophone and he does play saxophone and he's really good he plays a song that sounds like a dead ringer for the sax solo from the stranger by billy joel and yeah. and then they have sex <laughs> billy Grier, an old man faced 15 year old boy has sex with this out of her prime stripper with Kurt Russell's wife who never finds out that she had sex with a 15 year old. So that's something. Yeah. Um, he drives. So at this point he has completed everything on the list. Um, and then he sends a letter to his grandpa and he's like, I need info about my dad. And his grandpa comes to town to visit him and they like meet at a bar and have this talk about life and not being afraid to die. And the grandpa, and he's like, he's like, I'm afraid to come back and die in front of my mom because she'll be sad. 
And his grandpa's like, forget about your dad. Go be with her. I'm going to go now. I'm not going to take you with me. I'm just going to leave. I'll see you. And then, um, oh yeah, at this point, the boy has comical old age makeup. He's full Biff from Back to the Future. He looks ridiculous. Like, he looks like a kid that dressed like an old man for Halloween and just never stopped. And then he goes to the bus station. He's like, I'm going to go back, see my mom. I'm going to let the doctor study me. And out of pure happenstance, he goes into the little diner and he sees his dad. And he sees his dad's dog, which is a thing. Like, his dad always had a dog before he left the family. And, like, he was looking for a, a man and a dog. That was always what he would say when he was going to apartments looking for him. And he's, like, petting the dog. And the dad comes over and they talk. And the dad doesn't recognize him because he's an old man now. And they just talk for a minute. And Billy never says... He says it. He drops, like, two hints, like, you're my dad. He doesn't say it, but he's like, I remember from when we were little. And the dad's like, what? And he's like, nothing. And then he's like, I gotta, he's like, I gotta go see my mom. And he just leaves. And it's, so is oh, the dad, is the dad like shitty dad? Yeah. I mean, the went whole, out for a pack of smokes kind of dad. Yeah, He kind of just left the family. And like, he seems to be kind of a bad character. Like he bounces around apartments. He gets fired from jobs because he's no good. He's working as like a fry cook in a bus station diner. You know, yeah. he seems like a forgettable person. And he is because we never hear about him again. <laughs> um, so he goes home. He um call he's in a payphone he calls the he calls jeffrey tambor and says i'm gonna come i'm gonna let you study me and he says i gotta go meet my mom and he looks out of the phone booth and says oh there she is now (laughs) what he he, she doesn't know he's here she just walks by because she's going into the mall and he like she walks right by him and doesn't recognize him and then there's this like four minute really anticlimactic thing of her following him following her around in the mall and being like just there and she won't recognize him. And then finally she's going up the escalator and like dramatically hair flip turns around and sees him and is like, my old man's son, baby. And then they, they <laughs> hug and they have a little talk. And then <laughs> we see him like in the hospital being studied and grandpa comes to visit. And there's this weird, they're playing chess, which is a thing they do here and there in the movie. And they have this weird talk about how like the grandpa is having sex with the old woman now. Uh, and he's like he just he talks about sex this old man does for like a minute and a half and then he says we're going to a seminar next week maybe you could come with us which is just bananas and he's like i'm not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) and uh then we we see they take the old man boy to the beach and they just kind of walk around and that's it Wow. So it's like he set off on a journey to discover that what he really needed was back home, was to accept uh, death. Pretty much. His family. At one point, at the very end, he's being interviewed by like a specialist, and it's like a video interview, and he's like, life is short no matter how long you live. And I guess that's the moral of the story. Aw, well, isn't that nice? Also, don't bang young Dern. Don't. He didn't bang young Dern, but... Don't even think about it. He got to have sex with that older... Dab your eye out before you even look at a woman who's not your wife. You'll catch up old man disease. It's true. Uh, How'd you like it? Honestly, it was... It was... It had such a quality that I enjoyed it. Like, it wasn't good, 
but it was a vi- like it was a very good after school special of a movie for a made up thing that isn't real. <laughs> like I stand by the fact that this movie is kind of designed to be a PSA, but for a disease that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Ten out of ten. I could not recommend it enough. Did you watch it with your mother? I did not yeah. think it didn't line up. I know she was going to be on. Maybe next week. Actually, she will be on next week because next week my movie is going to be The Founder. McDonald's? Yes, the 2016 movie starring um, Beetlejuice and Laura Dern. <laughs> I didn't even know it was Beetlejuice. Yeah, what's his face? Uh, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. <laughs> Kurt Keaton. <laughs> And you will be watching an episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yeah? I must have seen it, but I don't you recall there? the time. Buddy? No? Oh, I can hear you just fine. Well? Can you hear me? Nick? Nick? Oh, okay. Uh, I hope we didn't just lose that entire recording because now when it came back, it was no longer recording. We'll have to see. Oh, yikes. If that is the case, um, let's do this again tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, Hopefully we got it. So I'm watching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, uh, season three, episode three from 2017. Our Lady Dern was in it. I'll be watching The Founder. Cool. Um, I did want to ask you, re uh, your dumb PSA film. Have you seen the nineteen ninety six film Jack? Does that star a Mr. Robin Williams? Yeah, Bobby Dubs. Yeah, that's him. I have not actually. Oh yeah, that was like I was in films I have not seen. The ripe young age for that. Um, you a little before your time, but it was the same shit. It was, he has made up growing old disease. Ah. Sudden, sudden onset old man syndrome. Um, <laughs> and like Bill Cosby was in it and J-Lo. J-Lo was his teacher. Um, oh, it's a real, it's not made up. It's Werner's syndrome. Is it, but isn't that the one that like is starts from birth? Yeah, he had it from birth. It was okay. just like, well, he was really like, just got it when he was 15 because he like ate a bad bowl of Cheerios or something. Yeah, could happen to anybody. Really could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I recall, Jack wasn't very good. Okay. I'll, I'll add it to my list. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, hopefully the whole episode's there. If not, we did we'll a see what we got tomorrow. If not, listeners, you missed a good one. You really did. See you. All right. See you. <laughs> nice. Oh.